I lost the first page of my manuscript. I couldn't find it, so I went up to the sound booth up there, the tech guys. They are so good. I mean, they run things up there. We're so grateful to have a group like that. And they said, you know what? Your first sermon was so full of hot air, it blew it over there, and it's under the piano. So now I know where it is, but <laughs> uh, not really. Uh, but they did tell me where it was. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that very much. Well, I was gone for three Sundays. That's been my longest block of being gone since I've been here almost two, two years. And I heard you had some wonderful preaching. First week with Pastor Chris. Second week was Mother's Day with Larry Jacobs. And then the third week last week with Dave Kahoot. And I heard some great things. And I love the way that God gives his church the gifts of the Spirit. And especially in preaching and teaching that you would be edified. But I want to bring you up today what's going on in my life. And uh, last week I candidated at First Baptist Church in Newcastle and they called me to be their interim pastor. So I will be over in Newcastle starting August sometime. And I will conclude my ministry here on June 30th. So we've got six more Sundays to enjoy. They worship together with God's people and the ministry of the Word. And I can hardly believe that two years has almost gone by since we began here. I have been so blessed by you all. And so I'm looking forward to this last season that we have. And we're all, all of this has been getting ready for the next senior pastor that God is calling to this church. And speaking of the next senior pastor, he is here right now. He and his dear wife, Amy, and their newborn. Come on up and say a word. Would you do that? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is great to be with you today. Have you ever gone through a season of life where you feel like you're sort of thrown into a salad blender and tossed around uh, repeatedly and then trying to figure out where to come out? That's where we've been for about the last three weeks. Uh, it has been one of the busiest, uh, most intense uh, periods of our lives. But, you know, God is really faithful. He is so faithful, and his imprint is all over this transition from our perspective. And so we're th so thankful uh, to be in relationship with him. I think when you know, um, when you really know God, not know about God, but really know him in relationship with him, uh, you see his faithfulness in so many specific ways, and that's been the case for us. It's been a season of contrasts in a lot of ways. We have great joys, great excitement uh, to come here and to be with you, uh, but yet sadness and saying goodbye to some people that we love. Um, great hope and stress with regard to the sale of a house and the purchase of another one. Uh, I know you guys have been praying for the sale of our house. Good news. Uh, this last week we accepted an offer on our house. Uh, so again, very quickly, two weeks on the market and God said, boom, gone. And then we got this little guy in the middle of all that. Uh, his name is Karsten, and a lot of people are asking us, why did you call him Karsten? Well, I'm 75% German. Karsten is a German name that means follower of Christ. So it is our sincere prayer, uh, of course, that he becomes a follower of Christ someday. So thank you all for praying for us. Uh, we're really excited to join you in just a very short time. Uh, I want to leave you with this scripture that's been um, meaningful to me, speaking of God's faithfulness. He is so faithful. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 
And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I look at my role as John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared Israel for the coming of Jesus and his ministry. And God has been able to have me come here and kind of prepare the church for uh, the next season for Pastor Nick. I, I just told him, it's such a great church, and you're going to have a great ministry, and there are exciting days that lie ahead. Well, I want to return to the book of Proverbs. i got three more sermons to preach, and then I'll have three more coming to close out my ministry. The Lord's going to show me what, I, what I'm going to be preaching on those three, but I know the next ones that I'm going to go to. But the last three that I preached all started with the letter W, and I pulled out topics. The first one was whoever, and I spoke about all the people that are in your lives and how you relate to them. And then I talked about wounds and how we get them and how we give them and how we heal them. And then I talked about wrath and what happens when we get mad and the damage we do and that we don't want to have a short nose, we want to have a long nose. Today, my topic is words. And words separate us in large measure from the animal kingdom because we have language. They don't have the kind of sophistication language that we have. We have these sounds and these written symbols that we call words that are very, very powerful when we communicate with each other. And the power of these sounds and symbols is absolutely incredible because with these sounds, with these symbols, we can build somebody up or we can hurt them and tear them apart. And so there's a lot of power there. But beyond that, words have the power of amusing us. Comedians make their living using the power of words to make us laugh. And words are also used for games and so forth. And so when I went to Philadelphia the last couple weeks, two weeks ago or so, my sister said, okay, I want to start playing this game on, on, online called uh, Words with Friends. Did anybody ever, does anybody play that? Okay, my sister's into that, so she sets me up on my computer. I don't know how to do that, but she sets me up, and she starts playing. She loves that game. I hate it. <laughs> she beats the tar out of me on all this. So I thought, well, maybe my sister's brighter than I thought. I, you know, I thought I could really take her, but you know, she's taking me, so I'm going to try some other friends. I played about 25, 30 games. I've only won two. They're beating the tar out of me. I hate this game. Well... What do I like when it comes to words? I like play on words. Now, that's my kind of thing. I like to have plays on words. And one of the things, by the way, that makes me angry, gives me a short nose, and I'm going to come to this play on words in just a minute, is when I look in my backyard and I see all this damage that these moles have done. It looks like a farmer has gone through there and plowed my backyard, and I get a short nose over that. So I decided, there I'm going to have the last word. I'm going to have some fun with these moles. And so I started to use play on words. And I had this good friend of mine who has sick humor like me and loves play on words. His name is Scott. And so about 11.30 at night, we're likely to get on Facebook and start chatting back and forth. And now, because he has the same problem where he is, moles, we started to use this word moles as a play on word and see if we can outdo each other. And so one day he Facebooked me and said, hey, I think you can get rid of your moles by Molotov cocktails. 
Hmm. When he told me that he was going on a trip to Mexico, I told him to enjoy some good guacamole. He said that before he went, he had to mulch his shrubs. And so I asked him if he knew that Superman could do that. And when Superman was a boy, he lived in Smallville. Then he asked me if I knew that the House of the Rising Sun was sung by the animals. <laughs> and I asked him if they were from Amarillo, Texas. And then he asked what I was preaching on on Palm Sunday. And I told him that I'd be speaking on Christ's triumphal entry amidst the multitudes. And then I asked him if he'd ever taken a mole again when playing golf. And he asked me if I'd ever heard of the baseball player Candy Maldonado, and he was one. And I mean, we could just go back and forth. This is just the tip of the iceberg, what we do before we go to bed, having a little bit of fun with words. One more. How many of you have seen the movie The Princess Bride? May I, may I see your hand? Okay, good. That's a great movie. My family loves it. So I write back to him, and I went, Marriage is what brings us together today. And then when he asked one more, when he asked me about Candy Molinado, I said, no, I don't know about him. But I said, we have a family from church here, Old North, called the Moliternos. So <laughs> we made full circle there. Well, yes, words, they've got power. They can hurt, they can build up, they can make you laugh. And today we're talking about the power of words to build people up, not to tear them down. And so these words, I told you, are recognizable sounds and written symbols that communicate specific meanings. And when these words are used, they have tremendous power. And I want to talk about this power. Because we can use them to lift up people or to crush people. In fact, as I stand up here today, I've got power, not only the Holy Spirit, but the power of words and the power of the word. But you see, I can get up here today and I can make you laugh with words. I can make you cry with words. I can make you happy with words. I can make you mad with words. The power of words. A few years ago, I came to church in Erie just like this Sunday. It was a nice day. The sun was shining. I felt good. I couldn't wait to get in ministry when this lady sees me in the lobby and she says, hi, Al. What's wrong with you? You look terrible. Wait, I was just feeling so good. And now I'm thinking, maybe I'm not feeling so good. What does she see that I don't see? So I said goodbye to her. I went to the men's room. I looked in the mirror. I said, what's wrong with me? I look terrible. <laughs> but anyway, I was feeling good, but the power of words made me not feel so well. And so we've got to watch what we're doing with our words. And so one time, on a project that I wanted to do, I read through the Proverbs from chapter 10 to 31, and I cataloged every reference on words in that span in Proverbs. It was a long list, and I couldn't believe what it said about the power of words. And so instead of reading a segment as we normally do, I'm going to pepper my sermon today with a number of these texts that talk about the power of words and how we should use them to build people up and not tear them down. Now, obviously, I can't go to all of these verses so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up what I think is the summary statement verse in all of Proverbs about the words in Proverbs. Everything comes under this category. And then we're going to look at a number of things about the words that we use. But the summary statement about the power of words in the book of Proverbs, I think, is found in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. When it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And with that little 
ounce of flesh, we have power to help people and bless them or to shred people and tear them down. And obviously, you know which direction I want to go today. And so the big idea of my sermon is our words have great power in the lives of the people around us, and you have to understand what that power is. And all of us, each of us today in our network, we have literally dozens and dozens of people that we will affect with this tongue. People in our homes, people in the church, people in the neighborhood, people at school, people at our job, people in the community, people where we shop, people on the phone when we get a, a customer service person we don't like, whatever it is. Our tongue is always there ready to do something either good or bad. So what I want you to do, when you think about your network of associations, I want you to think that you will either use your tongue in a construction zone to use tools to build people up, or that you will be with people in a demolition zone to use your tongue as a wrecking ball and hurt them. And by the time we are finished, I want to convince you that the only proper thing to do with your tongue is to look at everybody in your network as a construction zone that you will use your tongue in a positive way to build them up and that nobody, even though they might be a jerk in your mind, would be a demolition zone where you will use your tongue to wreck them. And so we want to look at these sites. In fact, Paul is very, very uh, frontal on this one. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 39, he tells us to use our tongues to build people up and not to tear them down. When he said, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only, only such a word is as is good for edification. That is the building up of someone. And so today... By the time you end this service, I want you to walk through those doors and say, I'm going to use my tongue as a construction zone to build people up. I'm not going to use my tongue as a demolition zone to tear them down. And so Proverbs talks about both sites. Talks about the demolition zone talks about the construction site, and I want to go first then to the demolition zone. I want you to see your tongue as a wrecking ball. And there are three wrecking balls of many in the Proverbs, but I want to focus on three today. Number one, you can use your tongue as a wrecking ball if you lie. And so lying is the first wrecking ball. And whether we mean to or not, sometimes we will lie and sometimes we do mean to. But also in Proverbs, you're going to see that the lying tongue has some brothers and sisters. Proverbs calls it the deceitful mouth, the false witness, devious lips. And so lying is not telling the truth in order to gain some kind of personal advantage or to inflict injury on someone else. And so lying is a very terrible wrecking ball. And of all the sins of the tongue, I classify this as the worst, and there are two reasons why I do. Number one is that lying most closely approximates who the author of lies is, the devil. He is the father of lies. And if you want to act like the devil, all you have to do is lie, and that's a bad thing. But the other thing I want you to understand is that truth is the glue of human relationships. And when you lie, you tear down the fabric of a relationship. And so when we lie, we destroy that glue. And so all human relationships are built on trust. And it can only this trust be built by truth. And when you lie, you break that trust. And when you break trust, you destabilize the relationship. And after a while, when you begin to realize you're being lied to, 
You're not going to trust that person, and you're going to wonder, what else is he telling me that is a lie? And you destroy the fabric of trust. I can't stress it enough. Lying destroys relationships and honors Satan. And the moment you lie about anything, the moment you tell a half-truth, the moment you leave someone with the wrong impression, erosion in that relationship happens and you begin to move away from the closeness of the heart of God as well. And so Proverbs 22, 20, 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And Proverbs 19, 5 says that a liar will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. And the interesting thing that that means is if you lie to hurt somebody else, eventually your lies will come back and destroy you. There's a second wrecking ball, not just the lying wrecking ball. It's the gossip wrecking ball. And there's a cluster of words in Proverbs that goes with gossip as well. Whisperer, talebearer, slanderer. And I don't know if you know it or not, but human nature loves gossip. That's the way we're wired. We love these juicy stories. And tabloids thrive on gossip, and they make millions and millions of money because they know that human beings love juicy stories, and so do lots of churches. Gossip is private talk about someone else that damages the image of that person. And gossip can be either true or false. Some people think that gossip is lying. No, gossip can be true. And a gossip will be happy to have a true bad fact to hurt somebody if he could use the truth as well as a lie. And you know that somebody is gossiping when they do two things. Number one, they say something behind somebody's back. That's gossip. And number two, it has a negative tone. And whenever you hear anything about somebody that's negative and they are not there, you have just heard a gossip. And so there they are thriving to get into the know to bring somebody else down, and that is a bad wrecking ball. And according to Proverbs, he knows what he's doing. He's breaking a relationship. He's hurting somebody. He's causing dissension. And by the way, slander is the worst form of gossip. Because it's an intentional lie for the express purpose of hurting or defaming someone and causing others to pull back from that person. Slander is terrible. And Proverbs is clear. Christians don't lie. Christians don't gossip. And if someone starts telling juicy secrets, you have a responsibility to control that. You don't let a gossip pull out his guns and fire them. You shut them down. And I hope that everybody has the backbone not to be a gossip and to shut somebody down who comes over to you and tries to gossip. And so here's the kind of thing you need to say to somebody like that. When a person starts to say something negative about somebody who isn't in the room, you say, that is inappropriate for my ears. You just let them know you're not going to participate. Or you will say, hmm, that's an interesting story. Why don't we go right now over to so-and-so and make sure they know what you just said. <laughs> you see, it's so important that you will not participate. In fact, Proverbs goes so far to say is if you got somebody who continues to gossip, you step away from them. And it says in 20 and verse 19, don't even associate with a gossip. Why? Well, a gossip is a conniving coward that destroys people, and you don't get near them. So what do you do if you know something juicy about somebody else? Two things. Number one, Proverbs says you keep it a secret. 
Proverbs 11.3, or in the New Testament, it tells us to go directly to the person involved and deal with them. But you do not ever gossip. The third wrecking ball is quarreling. And quarreling is this war of words used to gain advantage over somebody in some fashion while you hurt them. And synonyms and proverbs for this wrecking ball of quarreling are strife, controversy, and contention. And quarreling is this nasty habit of using harsh and demeaning and rash words to hurt somebody. And even sometimes violence accompanies those words. Now, I just want you to know that quarreling is going to happen in every, in every relationship from time to time. You're going to have a spat with your spouse or your children or a friend or something. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody is habitually quarrelsome. Somebody who enjoys the word fight. Somebody who's always stirring up trouble, creating contention. Specializes in ruining and weakening relationships. And destroying harmony and unity. And Proverbs 18.6 says, those who bring strife are fools. So Proverbs is telling us very, very boldly, do not be quarrelsome. Don't be that kind of wrecking ball. In fact, it says, avoid strife. By abandoning the quarrel, Proverbs 17, 14. And abandon it either before or during the heat. In fact, we're told that it's an honor to keep from strife, Proverbs 20 and verse 3. And so, in our homes and in our churches, the two most likely places that you will get into continuing quarrel, be honorable. Don't quarrel in the church. Don't quarrel at home. And if somebody wants to quarrel, send them away and let them fight with themselves. But don't you get drug in. Now let me say a few words about these three wrecking balls. Lying, gossip, and quarreling. Number one, most of us will have an inborn weakness towards one of them. You'll have a weakness towards lying or a weakness towards gossip or a weakness towards quarreling. And you have to figure that out. Now, mine basically is quarreling. I don't go pick fights. You come in my direction and I'm liable to be drawn in. You know? And I've got to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to this party. And so it's really important to figure out that you have a weakness. Which one is it? The second thing is found in Proverbs 6 and verses 6, 16 through 19 where it lists seven things the Lord hates. And guess what? There are three wrecking balls on that list of seven that the Lord hates. And he says, I hate lying, I hate gossip, and I hate quarreling. They damage people. So I guess I would say to you, don't do anything the Lord hates. Not a good idea. Third, is that we, we could look at these things and understand that these wrecking balls are going to hurt other people, and sometimes they're going to really be a casualty. We don't want to do that. We've got to be sure that we are building them up. And so I could talk about other wrecking balls, which would be hasty words, perverse words, excessive words, boastful words, and flattery. But I want to move to the construction zone. Enough about the demolition. And I promise you that if you will put away your wrecking balls, you will transform your relationship. So let's look at the construction zone. And there are five beneficial tools of the tongue in the construction zone. There are more, but I picked five. Number one 
is tool number one is truthful words. As lying is a wrecking ball, a good tool is truthful words. And Proverbs is trying to get a message to us. Always tell the truth. Doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter what the circumstance is, doesn't matter what. Truthful words come from God, and you don't have to remember what you said when you tell the truth, but liars have to remember what they said because they can't remember what they lied about in the past. And those who speak truth deal faithfully with people all the time. They're dependable. In fact, Paul goes so far in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, When you speak the truth, speak the truth in what? Love, because if you don't put love with the truth, you can still hurt people because sometimes the truth can be very brutal without love. And so that first tool is speaking the truth always. Second construction tool is what I'm calling coaching words. The ability to come next to somebody where you see a deficiency in maybe what they're doing or an attitude correction, and you're willing to coach them. And so it's a little hard to coach, sometimes I know it, and it's a little hard to be coached sometimes and hear what somebody has to say. But in Proverbs, we see that there are a number of ways that we can coach somebody. One of them is by reproof and rebuke. So that when you see somebody who's making an error, when you see somebody who's failing, that you would have the intensity and the love to go to somebody and say, let me talk to you about a situation that I see in your life. That is a good thing, not only to say it, but to hear it. Another category of coaching words in Proverbs is instruction and counsel. So it's not all the negative, which is reproof and rebuke. You can give instruction and counsel. You can teach somebody how to do something. You can help them to learn some things that they're lacking in. And you come up to them and you help them to improve. They're teachable. They receive your instruction. The counsel benefits them greatly. And Proverbs says that those who close their ears to this kind of counsel are a bunch of fools. There's a third tool. Not just the tools that will coach, but the third tool is the encouraging word. And I want to give you a piece of advice that I think is probably 90% true. I'm not sure about 100%. Here's the piece of advice. Encourage everyone you meet because, and here's probably 90% true, everyone you meet is having a hard time. Now, I didn't interview everybody coming into this church today, but my guess is that about 90% of you are struggling somewhere. You've got a challenge, you've got a hurt, you've got a difficulty, you've got a hard decision to make, and you've got some anxiety over, I don't know what it is, maybe it's a relationship that's struggling. But I believe that almost everybody you're going to meet is struggling somewhere. And what they need to have is an encouraging word. They need a gracious word, a sweet word, a gentle word, a pleasant word. We hear far too many stern, unkind, curt, rude, and insensitive words. So Proverbs 16.24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Proverbs 15, 4 says, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. People respond so well to encouraging words. And when people are stressed, discouraged, and anxious, words will do an amazing thing. And so Proverbs says in 12 and 25, anxiety in the heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 25, 25, like cold water to a weary soul. 
is the good news from a distant land. A couple years ago when I was ministering in Erie, pastors like people, they get weighed down. And one day I was very discouraged and I came to the office. I said, you know, Lord, this is going to be a hard day. And I walked in there and my, my shoulders were kind of uh, bent over and my knees were kind of weak. And I walked in there and I said, Lord, I don't know what, I, I, just, need a, I just need some help today. I opened up my email and there was this encouraging word from California. It was from a college friend of mine that I hadn't heard from in years. And he said, I just want to encourage you today. The Lord kind of laid you on my heart. So here is the encouragement. Woo! It kind of changed my day on a dime. And I called him and I said, Dave, you don't know what the power of your words just did for me. I didn't even want to face the day as discouraged as I was. But now I am ready. And so words have that kind of power. Because life is hard. There's another tool, tool four, what I'm calling measured words. Proverbs is big about when you say, what you say, and how much you say. And so we are to think about, ponder on, measure our words before we speak. And Proverbs says timing is so important. Proverbs 18, 13 tells us not to speak too quickly or we're a fool. Proverbs 15, 23 says how delightful is a timely word. And words need to be appropriate to a situation. Proverbs 25, 11 says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. By the way, do you know when some of the dumbest words are said when they are not measured? They are said in times of tragedy and at funeral homes. Some of the words are very, very stupid, but well-meaning. And you know what? People will hear those things and say, man, that didn't help me at all. Just be very careful to measure your words to appropriateness. And then sometimes, Proverbs says there's no virtue in many words. We're to keep our words to a minimum. Proverbs 17, 27 says, he who restrains his words has knowledge. And Proverbs 10, 19 says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. And Proverbs goes so far to say there are times we need to shut up. There are times we don't say anything. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. One thing that can kill your measured words is anger. And you know when you get angry, you don't care what you say. You say all kinds of things that hurt people and injure. You do a lot of damage, a lot of abuse, a lot of hurt goes. And so Proverbs 15.1 says, in times like that, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 17.27 says, he who restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit. A cool spirit is a man of understanding. We must control our anger so we can control our words. And so what I want you to do is when you really get mad and you really want to ream somebody out, whisper and say, I'm really mad at you. And uh, I'm controlling myself right now. And you know what? It'll do wonders. But if you let it go, you will be out of control. Lose the measure and hurt a lot of people. The last tool is what I'm calling confessional words. You know, there are going to be times that I'm going to hurt you and you're going to hurt me, people in life. You're going to say something, you're going to do something. It is so important that you make things right. And Proverbs talks about that. 
that we shouldn't go on in an injured or a broken relationship, but actually step up and say something like, I am sorry, will you forgive me? In fact, it says that we need to, when we offend somebody, go quickly to them, Proverbs 6, verses 2 and 3. And Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who confesses and forsakes his transgression will find compassion. And in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of people who are unwilling to say, I'm sorry. Don't you be one of them. And by the way, saying, I am sorry, is not enough. You need one more statement. You know what it is? Will you forgive me? And so when you have hurt somebody, a confessional word is important. I am sorry I have hurt you. I did this. Will you forgive me? And it will make all the difference in the world about the compassion in that relationship. Well, there's so much more I can say about the power of words. My time is gone. But I hope you get the point today. Our words have great power with people. And we need to realize that. Because those words will injure them or build them up. I want to finish today by drawing three conclusions about words. Number one, our words reveal our character. Because you know where these words come from? They come from our heart. And the Old Testament and Proverbs and the New Testament, Jesus said that our tongues are the extension of our hearts. And so if you listen to a person's words, you'll discern their heart. And so Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. From it flows your words. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 12. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And when you listen to a person and their words, you will know whether they are a man of character or not. Because from their heart comes their words. Second, our words need constant monitoring. We need to realize that you'll either be a wrecking ball or a building up tool. So you have to think before you speak. And you have to bring your heart, no matter who it is, into the construction zone and away from the, the, the wrecking ball and the demolition zone and say, I am going to intentionally choose to use my words to build somebody up and not tear them down. Because if you don't get intentional, you're going to default to the demolition. You've got to measure and monitor your words. And the third thing goes without saying, but I need to say it. Because the Bible does. Our words are very hard to control. They tend to control us. In fact, James says in verse 8, chapter 3, no man can tame the tongue. Do you know who has to tame the tongue? The Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. And when you hear a person who is frustrated building somebody up, you know they've got the spirit. When you see somebody who is frustrated and tearing somebody down, you know they're out of control. And they've got to get that tongue back to the Holy Spirit. It is so important to realize that. And so it was that I came to the understanding that words are so powerful to either build somebody up and bless them and tear them down so that when my daughter Rachel was leaving our house to get on her own about 10 years ago, I had to wonder as I look back over my life, she wasn't the easiest child to raise, how did I use my tongue? Did I wreck her or did I build her up? And so I took her out to dinner. And I wanted to chat with her. And I said, you know, honey, I wanted to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to bring you up in the right kind of way so that you would do well when you... But I said, you know what? I'm afraid that you saw me as a stern policeman more than as a loving dad. And we cried together. And I was afraid that my words over those years had damaged her more than helped her. 
And I realize that if you're a parent, you know what I'm going to say is true, that as parents we might have the best of intentions, yet in frustration and anger deliver more negative words than we want. Anybody say amen? And my fear was that I had spoken far more about what she did wrong than what she did right. Once I heard a Christian speaker say that for every negative thing we tell someone, we need to tell them five positive things. And I was afraid that over the years of her growing up, I had gotten that reversed. And so I said to her, Rachel, would you forgive me because I feel like I've torn you down more than I built you up. It was a special moment. Proverbs 12, 18 says, our words can be like healing medicine or wounding swords. Words affect emotions, attitudes, beliefs, opinions, behavior, and relationships. And once we speak that word, it's out of our control. Let's make sure that our words do more good than damage in the days ahead. I'm going to offer an invitation as we close. Would you please stand? And the invitation is basically an open prayer time down to the front. I'm going to ask those of you who might say, you know what, I've got a tongue that needs a little more taming. I'm going to come down and deal with the Lord right now. Or maybe you say, I'm one of those people who need an encouraging word. I just want the Lord to come speak to me because I'm struggling right now. And in this very special moment, the Lord can speak to me. Maybe you're carrying grief. We lost Shirley Eddie this week. And these flowers are down here. Maybe you need a time alone with the Lord because you're needing a word of comfort in you. I don't know what your need is. But this is an open altar today. Whatever your need is, that the Lord of Lords and Lord of glory would speak something to your heart to build you up when you are feeling torn down. Come at any time as we sing, and then I'm going to pray, whatever your need.